So tonight, we're going to continue in our John series, which I'm really excited about. John is an awesome book. But first, we're going to get a little personal, okay? How many of you, with a raise of hands proudly, would say that you have been through a breakup? Oh, my gosh. How many of you have been broken up with? Oh my gosh, you're not alone. <laughs> I'm not alone. Um, wow, amazing. <laughs> How many of you would like to enter into a relationship with somebody in this room? No, I'm just kidding. Please don't raise your hand. <laughs> Please don't raise your hand. <laughs> or just go for it. I mean, be bold. Why not, right? <laughs> you guys said Jill. Um, I'm just saying, I love love, you guys. I do. If you want to, if you're trying to, yeah, you just come talk to me. I'll help you. <laughs> I've been um, happily married for 10 years to Josh, and it's been so great. Love of my life, except for Jesus. I do love Jesus more. Um, so yeah, breakups are real. As you guys saw from the show of hands, like many of us have been through a breakup. If you haven't been through a romantic breakup, maybe you've been through like a friend breakup. That's what led to my second year. Um, yeah, breakups are real. I went through a breakup when I was in college that really rocked my world. Um, it was really sad. I got broken up with, so all of you who wrote, raised your hands so courageously, I was like, wow, that was a lot of people. Um, you're not alone. I have felt similar feelings. Um, honestly, I felt rejected like I had never had before, except for maybe like seventh grade. I'm hoping that my kids can test out of middle school. Like, is that a thing? <laughs> I really hope so. So I need you guys to tutor them so they can test out of middle school so they never have to experience that. But yeah, I just remember in college going through this breakup, feeling rejected, and almost feeling like ashamed that I had been broken up with because somebody had said that they didn't want me anymore. Somebody had said that I wasn't like up to par with what they wanted in a relationship, what they wanted in a girlfriend. And I felt really alone and I felt really devalued and I felt really sad and lonely. And um, honestly, it rocked my identity. I was like, who am I without this relationship? I was almost ashamed to tell people about it. I remember telling one of my housemates the next morning after I was broken up with, I was like, yeah, we broke up, but we're going to talk this week. Like, but it's not real. Like, don't think that of me. And I just remember being in this place where I just felt really rejected. And... That's one of the reasons that I love, love, love tonight's passage, because we get to see Jesus interact with a woman who has been rejected. And so let's turn with me to John 4. So this is somebody that society has cast out, has said they were unworthy, and that they didn't meet the standards to be included. In order to find the book of John, if you need a Bible also, where is my wonderful husband? Yes, you're right there. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. He'll give you a Bible. We have these really awesome Bibles. They are free. You can have one. He's going to run out to the welcome table and get you one. If you need to find the book of John, there is actually a table of contents in the beginning, and you can look for just the book of John. There are other books called John, but they're called like 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. 
you just are looking for the book of John towards the end of the Bible. So you're going to go to John, and you're going to turn to chapter 4. John chapter 4. To give you some background, the book of John was written by John. Super awesome. Um, and it was written to, so, to show that Jesus was the fulfillment of everything they had hoped for. It was written including the signs, miracles of Jesus. And we looked at Jesus' first miracle two weeks ago where he turned water to wine. Last week, we saw Jesus talking with a man named Nicodemus, who was a religious leader who came to see if Jesus was the one he had been hoping for. And John shows us that he was. So right now, the story that we're entering into, we have Jesus coming from a place called Judea, where he had just been doing like miracles and turning water to wine, gathering people to himself. He had just come to start bringing about the kingdom of God here on earth. And in order, so he left Judea and he was going to go to Galilee. But in order to do that, he had to either go through or around a place called Samaria. And so it wouldn't be a big deal to us, but to them it would. And we'll see why in just a moment. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. So a few observations about the setting for this encounter that we're going to see. Um, One, I love that halfway through verse 6, it says that Jesus was tired because how many of you guys have been tired? How many of you guys are tired right now? PK is because you woke up at 4 (laughs) a.m. Did anybody else wake up at 4 a.m.? Oh my gosh, someone else is as crazy. Okay, so Jesus tired as he was. So it brings me such comfort knowing that Jesus, who was God in human form, got tired. 100% God, 100% human, that he got tired. So it's not unholy to be tired. It's not unholy to rest. Um, So sometimes the most holy thing you can do is to take a nap, right? That's what tonight is about, naps. No, I know Hannah took a nap earlier, (laughs) she said. Yeah, anytime you can get a nap in, do it. I try to get my kids to take naps, and they fight me on it. And I'm like, I wish somebody would ask me to take a nap every day. That would be great if people were just, like, pleased and happy with you that you took a nap and, like, celebrate that. Like, great job. You slept for two hours. You go. We should do that for each other. I think we should do that. So it was about noon, we're told, in um, verse 6. So it's about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His, his, his disciples had gone to town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus asked her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is too deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Wow. So what just happened here? Jesus first asks this woman for a drink. And there are so many things culturally wrong with this picture. First, Jesus was a Jew. And this woman, we're told, is a Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans would not have interacted. They did not like each other. And Jews and Samaritans were political and religious adversaries. Secondly, men did not associate with women. They would not have dated and broken up with. Like, they wouldn't have done that. Men did not associate with women. um, And for sure, no Jewish man would have asked a Samaritan woman anything in private just between the two of them. And this is why the woman is so surprised. She's like, you are going to ask me for a drink? Because he was going beyond the social and religious restrictions by even just speaking to her, let alone asking for a drink. To ask for a drink when he didn't even have anything to drink with, it was like, are you going to use my cup? Like, that's definitely not going to happen. And so I love this passage. I love that Jesus did this because as I was reading it, I was like, this is such a Jesus move because you see Jesus is bringing about his kingdom and his kingdom is about restoration and reconciliation. And when Jesus asks this woman for a drink, approaches this woman, he is acknowledging her humanity. He's acknowledging her decency. He even asks her a question. If you want to honor someone, I'll give you a hint. Ask them a question. It shows that you care about what they think, about what they say, and it shows that like you might need help sometimes from them. That was a freebie. I did not have that in my notes. But we'll see this as a theme in the life of Jesus. He doesn't care what societal norms are. He, he doesn't care who society says is worthy of interaction. He loves each person no matter what. Like Hunter and Julia were saying about when we were praying for the nations, that God loves the nations. Jesus refuses to treat this woman as inferior, and we'll see it again and again through the Gospels of Jesus's life and his interactions with women. And I love that this story is in John, because if I wanted to talk about how Jesus lifted women up when he was here on the earth, I would go to Luke because Luke is all about showing us how Jesus lifts women up. But I love that John does this, because it's a sign that he's the Messiah, the one who has come to redeem and restore. A few weeks ago, or two weeks ago, when we saw the water to wine, we saw another Jesus move, which was having his first miracle happen in front of servants. His first miracle didn't happen in front of kings and emperors. It happened in front of servants. They were the first ones to see Jesus do a miracle. They were the first ones to see the first sign that Jesus was from God. So tonight's story with the Samaritan woman gets even better. Let's continue reading. Verse 15, the woman responds to this offer, seemingly about water, from Jesus and says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. 
So Jesus is talking about living water. He's not really talking about literal water at this point. Um, but she's like, this sounds great. If I don't have to come to the well, it was like a chore. The well wasn't in the middle of town. It was right outside of the town. Um, but Jesus is about to blow her mind. So verse 16, Jesus told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Okay. To be honest, for a really long time, I thought this passage was about an immoral woman. This woman who just left all these men in the dust, who was just a heartbreaker, and this was like Jesus confronting her and calling her out on her sin. But if you study this culture and this time period, you'll see that women didn't have rights. There is no account in this time period of a woman divorcing a man. So really what we encounter here is that this woman has been divorced, rejected five times. This would have been this woman's greatest point of shame. This would have been why this woman is out at noon getting water. Because you see the rest of the town, the women from the town would have gotten water when it wasn't hot. Remember, we're in the desert here. This would have been the heat of the day, noon. The sun is at its highest. And she was out there getting water. She wouldn't have been allowed, socially allowed, to go get water with the other women. She would have been shunned. They would have said that she was inferior. They wouldn't probably have even acknowledged her. And so we see her... This woman, rejected by five men, found unworthy, and even at this point, she's living with someone, but she's not married to them, and so most scholars would agree that she's probably um, like a concubine living with a man who's married and has a wife already. For this woman who wasn't even socially allowed to get water at the same time, God in human flesh comes to her. He sees her as an individual. He acknowledges her. He speaks to her. He asks her for help. This would have been so countercultural. And he offers her living water. He offers her himself. He offers to satisfy her greatest needs and desires, which, if I think back and read a little into this about the times that I have been rejected, her desires were probably to be known, to be found valuable, and to be loved. So Jesus offers her this, this living water, and what happens? Verse 19, sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. <laughs> She's like, oh, wow, you know a lot about me. How is this possible? Something else is going on here. You're not just a regular person. And she's starting to get it. In verse 20, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews complain, 
<laughs> not complain, claim, you Jews complain that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews, because Jesus is Jewish and he's saying that. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is the first time that we see Jesus declare that he is the Messiah. She would have understood that I am was a reference to God's name in the Old Testament. He says, I am he, the one you're talking about, the Messiah. This is the first time. As we've seen in the past few weeks, people have been like, the Messiah is coming. And Jesus is like, yeah, let me do some signs. But he never says, I am the Messiah. He never acknowledges that. And who does he choose to reveal his true self to for the very first time? It's someone that society wouldn't have even acknowledged. A woman, a Samaritan woman, one who has experienced more rejection than I could ever imagine. And Jesus chooses this woman to make the first declaration of who he is. Everyone assumed that Jesus was going to come in power and come in glory when he came to restore and redeem the earth, that he was just going to take over the kingdom, that he would hang out with all the elite people that culture had deemed worthy. And instead, we see that Jesus goes to this woman whose society wouldn't even have recognized. And he says, I am the Messiah. And he reveals to her his plan for redemption of the, of the earth. Jesus doesn't offer living water and eternal life to only those who culture deems worthy of inclusion. Jesus offers living water to everyone. He doesn't say that you need to look this way or that, that you need to be part of a certain family or have a certain amount of money. But what type of person does Jesus say that he looks for? He says, people who worship him in spirit and truth. In spirit and in truth. Not just that you know about God, but that you experience him. Not just that you say you believe in Jesus, but that you live with him daily. This woman got it. She understood. And in her understanding of who was standing before her, in her belief in Jesus, what do we see her do in verse 28? It says, then, leaving her water jar, the whole point of why she was there in the first place, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. 
this woman, this same woman who was literally at the well at noon, so she didn't have to interact with anyone, goes into the town and makes this public proclamation that she thinks Jesus is the Messiah, the one that they had been hoping for, the one that they had been looking for. She makes a public proclamation. She leaves her water jar, goes back to the town, draws attention to herself so she can make the attention go to Jesus. And miraculously, because of the spirit at work in them, I think, people believe her and they come and see for themselves. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words and because of her testimony, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. You see, when we understand that Jesus gives us our value, when we understand that he is the one who satisfies us with this living water, that he is the one that can take our point of greatest shame and make it a testimony for his glory, that is why Jesus came. He came to transform. He came to satisfy. He offers us living water, and it changes everything. In Genesis 1, the very first book of the Bible, it tells us how um, God created everything. And in it, It says that God created man and woman in his image. It doesn't say God created these certain men and women of this certain land or certain race or certain socioeconomic status in his image. It says that he created everyone in his image. Our value isn't determined about or by what other people think of us or what has been done to us. Our value is determined by the same God who chose to give us life. Breathing his breath into us, we are made in his image. And when we say yes to accepting this living water, he gives us a new identity, which we learned about last week. He gives us this new identity as a child of God, as a son of the king, as a daughter of the king. Last week, we saw how Nicodemus came to Jesus, and he came. So Nicodemus was this religious leader of the day, and uh, yeah, he was a religious leader of the day, and he comes to Jesus because he's like, I think this guy might be the Messiah. Like, let me see. But he comes to him in in the dark of the night, because what if someone sees him? But what does Jesus do here? He wants to speak to this woman. He wants to call out her humanity. And he doesn't go in the darkness of night. He goes in broad daylight, in the the highest point of the sun during the day. And he offers her living water. And she could have stayed clinging to that old identity, clinging to that shame, 
choosing to let what had been done to her define her life. But instead, as she got so excited about Jesus being the Messiah, she chooses to let that go and chooses to go and proclaim who Jesus is and let Jesus satisfy with the living water that he gives. So tonight, if Julia can come back and strum the guitar, is that even what it's called? I'm so not musical. Strum the guitar, play the guitar. That's what it's called. Yeah, got it. I meant strum, the verb. That's what I was looking for. Um, I'd love for you guys to close your eyes and just think about this. What about your shame? Maybe like this woman, you've been rejected, excluded, made to feel less than. Maybe at this school of 20,000 undergraduate students, you feel alone inside. Maybe you feel unworthy or unlike other people. Jesus says to you tonight that you are who he came to give this living water to, that you can find satisfaction in him, that he wants to satisfy your every need. Your value comes from him because you're made in his image and he's waiting to satisfy you with this living water to tell you that you are known, loved, and valued by him. Maybe your shame doesn't come from rejection or something someone else has done, but maybe because of choices that you have made. Jesus' love covers our sin, and shame is a liar because Jesus makes us new. He says that in him, we have new life. And this living water that he gives, it washes away and makes us new. And if you have been feeling like you are your old self, even though you have said yes to Jesus, even if you have been feeling like what you did is unforgivable, Jesus says it's not. And when we cling to our shame, when we listen to shame and the lies of shame, it's like saying that what Jesus did on the cross to die for our sins was not enough. Jesus doesn't want you to live in bondage to lies. He came to free us, to give us new life, to give us new living water, a new identity in him. And he loves us. And the second part is this, that Maybe we, can, we have recognized the lies of shame. We have accepted this living water and Jesus has changed our life. We can learn from how Jesus interacts with this woman who is unlike him. We can learn from how he acknowledges for people for who they are, how he calls them his, how he doesn't discriminate or exclude. And may we do the same. May we be different than our culture and our environment that values people based on other things, 
May we value people based on the fact that they are made in the image of God. And may we treat each person that we encounter like a son or a daughter of the King. May we be people who call out the dignity and humanity in other people. And may we proclaim that Jesus loves them, that Jesus gave them life. So tonight, we're just going to take a minute, and then we're going to sing a song that says that Jesus is the one who says who we are. It says, I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. So Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for going to that Samaritan woman and showing us that you love us no matter what. No matter who we are, no matter where we've been, what we've done, what's been done to us, that we are made in your image and that you love us so much and that you offer us this living water that can satisfy. If you're comfortable doing so, I just um, would ask that you would just hold out your hands in front of you. Jesus, we, we just ask that you would fill us with this living water, that you would satisfy us, God, and that we would be people who worship you in spirit and in truth, that we would worship you with our minds, knowing and learning more about you, that we would worship you with our hearts, loving you, experiencing you. So we pray, God, we say that we are open to you, and we thank you so much for who you are. In the name of Jesus.